population of the world that is what we call unreached. Unreached. I, I know there was a lot of statistics there. Let me just go over a couple of them. Two plus billion, two, actually I think it's 2.6 billion people on this earth, 2.6, 29.4%. Uh, do not, are what we call unreached in the sense that there is not at least 2% of people that know the Lord Jesus Christ that could share the gospel with them. Out of 100 missionaries that go, only two live among the 2 billion. 100 are sent out, only two end up in that, much of which is called the 1040 window, which is the upper part of Africa, extending all the way through Saudi Arabia, all the way to India. Out of $100 spent on missions, only one cent goes to these 2 billion people. In other words, helping to support. Think about that. $100 is giving, given, and all that actually ends up helping to have them understand the gospel is a penny. I was very convicted this last week as I was studying about missions. Basically, it goes like this. One out of three people on this earth just shy of one out of three. Three people, one of them, is in an area where they have never heard of the name Jesus Christ. They, they probably don't even know a Christian. They have no contact with the gospel. 90% of missionaries go to Christianized people groups. We send missionaries out and they go to places where they already have churches. They go to places. By the way, I'm, I'm not. By the way, let me back up a couple of things. One, I, I want you to know that my heart is a really is a heart that is convicted. I think afflicted, broken. I, I'm not saying any of this like to like point a finger and say why us? Why maybe we're going in the wrong direction? I'm not even going to go there. I, I just know that the Lord has really spoke to at least my heart and said, you know, yeah, what about the nations? Now again, some of you would say, well, but how, how do you even get into Saudi Arabia? Well, that's a whole nother day and a whole nother... But we just, I just want to kind of bring some thoughts to you as far as what is our responsibility? Little Church, Western New York, and Almond, New York. We need to be world Christians, right? We, need to, we at least need to know, boy, this is what's going on. Because again, Jesus said, make disciples of all nations. By the way, that word is ethnos. That, what's important about that is he's not talking about a country with a, or with a, a, a certain territorial you know, design, like you know, look at um, you know, Afghanistan. He's saying people groups there. That word nations has to do, or ethnos has to do with uh, a people group that has its own unique language, own unique culture, own unique ideas. They're like a uh, subculture within a culture, I guess. But again, there's thousands of these unreached people groups. At the beginning of this week, I was thinking there was, you know, maybe we're down to 30 or 40 unreached people groups. There are still thousands of unreached people groups. And you say, but they, do they have any type of English or any type of common language? Many times they do, but the gospel is very hard to cross over into their because they have their own identity, their own culture, their own language. You know, if you go to Romans, and that's where we're going to be, we're going to end up in Romans 15. I, I just want to kind of give an overview of Romans very quickly because we're going to end up in chapter 15, and I kind of want to set, you know, this greatest of all theological treaties that the Apostle Paul wrote. 
You remember that the, the key concept of Romans is the gospel. In fact, we find in verse 16 of chapter 1, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also to the Greek. And so after that short introduction, let me just break it down into big chunks of how Romans plays out. He starts out with the gospel, and then in chapter 1, verse 18, to chapter really 3, verse 20, he paints this terrible picture. The world that is lost, it's dead in sin, it's in rebellion against God. But then in chapter 3, verse 21, Beginning there and ending in chapter 5, verse 21, he paints a magnificent picture of salvation. Again, in chapter 3, he affirms for us that God sent forth his Son as a propitiation, an acceptable sacrifice for us. We're, we're in this helpless, hopeless state, but God sought a solution through his Son. And Jesus Christ came, and the Father turned away his wrath from us, because of his son. And in, in the place of wrath, he gives us his glorious righteousness. Now again, these are truths. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you know. But sometimes they don't hit us like they should hit us. That when we receive Jesus Christ, we received his perfection and his righteousness, and we stand before God declared righteous. Whereas one man said this, God killed his son so that he would not have to kill you and me. Now think about that. He killed his son so that that wrath that should be placed on us was placed on him. Or as Isaiah 53 tells us, he crushed his son so that he would not have to crush you and me. And you say, but how do I receive this free gift of eternal life? Romans 5.1, having been justified by faith, it's faith, it's belief, it's trust in what Jesus Christ did. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then at, starting at the end there, and then starting in chapter 6, really all the way through chapter 8, he, he tells us what's God's purpose of saving us. It's really a great picture. Because see, he didn't just save us to take us to heaven. See, this is, sometimes people think, well, that's why I got saved, so I can go to heaven. No, no. As Romans 8.29 says, that we might be conformed to the image of his Son, because as we are becoming more and more conformed to the image of his Son, we are glorifying God. We are glorifying the Father who did the plan. We are glorifying the Son who executed the plan. We are glorifying the Holy Spirit who was in us, um, actually accomplishing the plan of sanctification. So that's really Romans chapters 1 through 8. Then in chapters 9 through 11, he actually steps back and he says, but let me show you the purpose of God. And, he, and he's actually talking about Israel, but he's talking about the attribute of God's sovereignty as it relates to Israel. That God has a purpose for Israel. God has a salvation purpose. And even and then chapter 11 even says at the very end, all Israel will be saved. That's prophetic. There's going to be a day when all remaining Israelites will turn to Jesus Christ as he comes back to this earth. Now again, today Israel as a nation is, is apostate. They don't believe in Christ. They have rejected their Messiah, but there's coming a day when they will all turn. Now you wonder, of the 12 or so million Jews, how many are, I don't, we don't know how many are going to be left after the Great Tribulation. But whoever's left on this earth will turn to Jesus Christ. 
And then we come to chapter 12, verse 1, and there's a transition because he's talked about, you know, our plight that we're damned. Jesus Christ came and saved us, and there's even a purpose for salvation as far as sanctification. And then in chapter 12, verse 1, we read, I beseech you, therefore. In other words, based on everything I've just told you about salvation, based on the fact that you were damned, you were hopeless, you were helpless, you were, your mind was carnal, you were against God, you were enemies of God, you hated God, but God you know, uh, sent his son, he rescued you because of his mercy and grace, and therefore Paul says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, what, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. And really, the rest of the book fleshes out what it means to be a living sacrifice. The question today is, are you a living sacrifice? Now think about what a sacrifice is. When it went to the altar, it never came off. <laughs> it was complete, it was total. In the, Old, in the Old Testament system, when a sacrifice went to the altar, it never came off. And yet Paul says, God doesn't want a dead sacrifice, he wants a living sacrifice. He wants a sacrifice. God, God wants us to be willing to say, Lord, I'm yours. Are you willing to say that today? I'm yours. My relationships are yours. My finances are yours. My life is yours. I'll do whatever you want me to do. See, because that's what it means to be a living sacrifice. By the way, at the end of that verse, it says, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable, your logikos, your logical. This is the logical end the logical conclusion, as it were, <clears throat> I mean, if God truly did save me, then the logical conclusion is I'm his. My life, everything I have is his. Now we get to this point, as one guy said, sometimes the afflicted do not need to be comforted. <clears throat> How does it go? But the comfortable need to be afflicted see sometimes or as sometimes parents say we need an ouchie we need an ouchie I mean sometimes you uh, comfort the, you know, the ouchie you know, and someone gets a little ouchie oh, but sometimes you know, kids need to have a little bit of an ouchie they need to be poked sometimes we need to be poked this last week I was poked see sometimes we need to get those who are comfortable need to, be, need to have a little bit of affliction. We need to say some hard things. We need to hear some hard things. We need to hear some tough things. And, and I think in Romans 15, there's some things that need to be said as far as, what, are we truly living sacrifices? Sometimes we just move so quickly, it's almost like a magnet to comfort. Let me stay in my comfort zone. Let me stay where everything is played out nice and neat. I don't like ruffles. I don't like it when I don't know what the future holds. I'm not sure, you know, Lord, I'll serve you if, you know, it's easy, if it's, well, that's not what a living sacrifice is. Let's go to verse 14. By the way, he's, he's been talking about the gospel and the Gentiles and getting the good news to the Gentiles uh, leading up to verse 14. But in verse 14, it says, Now I myself, Paul speaking, I am confident concerning you, my brethren, that you also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able, to, uh, also, able also to admonish one another. Nevertheless, brethren, I have written more boldly to you on some points, 
as reminding you because of the grace given to me by God that I might be a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles. Now I want you to stop there because that word Gentile, sometimes we think Greek. Actually, that's the same exact word that Jesus used in Matthew 28 when he says, I want you to make uh, disciples of all the nations. Nations. That's, that's the word there. It's nation. In fact, you might want to even put in the, you know, if you, if you write in your Bible. By the way, I hope you write in your Bible. <laughs> I know some people don't like writing in their Bible. My Bible is all written up. And then when it gets out of room, I go to another Bible. I'm, I'm about ready to move to another Bible. Someday, maybe my kids will want, this was Dad's old Bible. Please, kids, don't sell it in a yard sale. <laughs> pass, it to my, pass it to my grandchildren. Levera or Venora will be, this was Grandpa's, all these little notes. No, you want to write, but if you might want to write in your thing, the word Gentile is ethnos. Very, very important term, ethnos, because he's talking about a people group. Okay? Again, that's in verse uh, 15, 16, excuse me. In fact, he repeats it. Ministering the gospel of God that the offering of the Gentiles might be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Uh, ethnos, or the key word is ethne. Again, translated nations. Same exact word as Matthew 28. Nations. Um, you know, in my own life, I, I, I've seen this. You know, I... Um, I'm starting to understand this. I, I've had the privilege in the last few years of going on three different missions trips. Uh, the first one was to Mexico uh, through the Timblins. We flew into Tucson, and then they flew me into Mexico. And, and I met where a, a number of different, uh, actually people groups, small churches in different areas, had different culture, even though they're only a, a few hours away. Then uh, two years ago, we, so and I had the opportunity to go to Jamaica, I think the thing that hit me more in Jamaica than anything else was their poverty, which I thought was deep poverty, but then didn't realize what deep poverty looked like until the next year. But also their love for Jesus, that things didn't matter. You know, you just think that things matter, and you could really tell with, with that particular group with uh, Elaine Schiffer that, you know, it wasn't about things. But really what hit me more than any of those, of the, of the three was last year's trip to India. India is a nation of 1.2 billion people. In fact, I, I pulled up some t- statistics on India. 1.2 billion people. Of that, now think about this, 200 and two, two, excuse me, 2,611 people groups in India. Now think about that. When he uses the word nations, when, when Paul is using the word Gentiles, he's referring to those groups of people that if you took that group, this group one and, one and group number two, and you put them together, they wouldn't have the same language, they didn't have the same culture, they didn't have the same almost anything. And if you go to the, the country of India, there are 2,611 people groups. Now, let me ask you, would, how many... Uh, unreached people groups you think are in there there's 2600 thereabouts how many do you think are unreached this just blew me away 2300 almost 2400 2379 almost 2400 people groups out of the 2600 are unreached that's why Joshua Project says that India is like the open field in fact I've got a couple of statistics for you if you'd shine them up 
Let me throw a few things out. There's 50 million evangelical Christians in uh, India, which makes up, listen to this one, 4% of the total population. 50 million? There's not even 50 million here in America, I don't think. But again, 1.2 billion. Indian, India's evangelicals only speak a, f- a few of the 1,500 languages. See, there's all these 1,500 different languages. Only a few of them are spoken by evangelicals. Basically, if you look at India, I wish I had a... And if you just take the whole middle, that's the unreached. There's a lot of them on the south where Shabu is, and also on the west, uh, eastern side where Orissa, there's a lot of Christians there, and even farthest north, but if you just take the middle, Andhra Pradesh, very few. Missionaries to the region, let's look at that. Of the 100,000, <clears> like in Africa, there's 90,000, in Latin America, oh, wait a second, how do, yeah, in India, there's only 8,000. And yet they have 1.2 billion people. Give me the next one, if you would. This, this was missionaries per million. <laughs> Latin America, 172. So you have, a, you have 172 missionaries for a million people. Well, that's still not many. <laughs> but look at India, seven. Now, again, thankfully, there are seven. But when you start adding in 1,500 different languages and only 4% of the population is evangelical, and there's 2,600 people groups, but only 2,400 are unreached. I mean, that's, by the way, that is 91% are unreached. 91% of India has people living in groups of people, different language, different culture, different identity, 91% unreached. You can take that down. Did you know this? 33% of the world's 7,150 remaining unreached people groups are living in India. 30, so a third of all the people groups out there, India. And so you might say, well, you're depressing me. No, no. I just, like I said, uh, sometimes we get comfortable and we need a little affliction. We just need to, th- this is what has drawn me. Uh, Lord, I want to be a living sacrifice. Lord, whatever you want to do in my life, Make me willing. Make me willing. Lord, I'm not willing all the time. Lord, I like comfort. I like this in my life. I'm like this. You probably didn't even know this. Steady. I like steady. But Lord, whatever you want. Let me give you one last convicting thought. For every dollar placed in the offering plate in America, so let's take a dollar, and let's figure out how much actually goes out of because we already, actually, I gave you the most astounding one, $100, one cent, but just this. If you put a dollar in, a, in a, an offering plate in America, how much do you think leaves America? I would have said maybe 20%. Actually, it turns out to be 2.75. I only have two cents. Two points, three cents. Three cents. Three cents. 100 pennies given, three cents. Leave it even the American shores. Now, to get to, uh, to an unreached people group, it's 0.01, less than, a, less than a penny if it's off of a dollar. See, you know what it starts to tell me? I, I think we're really very much self-centered here, aren't we? Doesn't this kind of sound like that, self-centered? 
We're not really looking out for other people. Oh, we feel good. We're taken care of. But there's a world that is literally dying and going to hell. We'll be under the wrath of God. And when we have been given a commission by God, you know, go into all the world. So what does it take to be a true, authentic, great commission Christian? I've just taken 20 minutes to set this up. Let me answer that for you. What does it take... What does it mean to be a true, authentic, Great Commission Christian? Great Commission Christian being one who, who was accomplishing Matthew 28. By the way, let me jettison this whole to say I am not calling us all to go to the mission field. But I do think we need to understand where we're at, right? Maybe, maybe the Lord is calling some. I, I trust that the Lord is calling some of us. And I'm going to put us, not you. If he calls me, I want to go. If he calls you, I trust you want to go. But there's a lot of people out there, billions of people out there that do not know. And, and again, we'll never hear the name of Jesus. Okay? The first uh, characteristic is that a Great Commission Christian will be, and you can fill this in, will be focused on the nations will be focused on the nations. Look at verse 14. Now I myself, that's emphatic, that's an emphatic, that's an intensive. I myself, he's looking, he's saying, you know, I'm confident concerning you, my brethren, <coughs> that you are. Now this is what the Roman church was. And Paul had heard, Paul had understood. This is what they were. They were full of goodness. By the way, that means they were doing a lot of good things. By the way, it's good to do good things. By the way, I would hope that churches do good things. Although some churches do bad things. But sometimes, now think about this, sometimes the greatest danger to the best is not the bad, but the good. Isn't that true? We only have limited resources. But they were doing good things. And by the way, he was complimenting them. I, I don't want to have you think that he was trying to chastise them. He's saying you're doing a lot of good things. And they were filled with knowledge. Because, by the way, knowledge should affect us. As we get more and more knowledge of the Scriptures, more and more principles of the Scripture, that should affect us. That should make us change and grow for Him. We need to be a theologically informed people. We need to understand the Gospel. We need to understand the implications of the Gospel. See, that's what Paul was saying in Romans 12. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. What do you mean? Well, that's the implication of the gospel. If you've received the gospel by the mercies of God that you received, be a living sacrifice. I like when one guy said, the greatest theologian that ever lived was the greatest missionary that ever lived. His name was Jesus. He was the greatest theologian. He was the greatest missionary. David Livingston said this, God had only one son and he made him a missionary because he was sent from heaven to earth. And also the Roman church was able to admonish one another, instruct, that's what it means, instruct, sometimes warn, but the idea is to help each other, bring, bring each other up to the standard. In other words, the Roman church had a lot of very, very good things going on within the church. Verse 15, but, or nevertheless, depending on your version, brethren, I have written boldly, uh, more boldly to you on some points. What? As reminding you. By the way, that's what a good preacher does. He keeps reminding you. Paul wants to remind them. We need to be reminded. 
Missions Month. We need to be reminded of the lostness of the world. Missions Month, that the gloriousness of the gospel, that it does transform. We need to be reminded of the fact that Jesus said, Go, and as you're going, make disciples of all nations. But let's see what else he says. Because of the grace of God given to me, that I might be a minister of Jesus Christ to, again, the ethnos. And what I, this was the verse we looked at earlier. And you say, well, why is he using that word ethnos? Because I believe this, that in the, in the mind of the apostle were the ringing words of Jesus, Matthew 28. I think that just drove him. Or, as we say, last words ought to be lasting words. Those were the last words Jesus said to his disciples. Go make disciples. And I think it was just ringing in Paul's ear, this is what we must do. By the way, I know that it was ringing in his ears because if you go from chapter 1, the very beginning, look at how many times this word ethnos appears. Verse 9. Now again, your version might either say Gentiles or nations, depending on the translation. But when it says, verse 9, that the Gentiles, that's ethnos. Second part of verse 9, you among the Gentiles. Verse 10, rejoice, O Gentiles. Verse 11, all you Gentiles. Verse 12, over the Gentiles. (coughs) Second part of verse 12, in him the Gentile. Ethne, ethne, ethne. People groups, nations, go to, your, go to the people that need you. See, Paul, this is the key, you know, this is, the, this is my thing. He was focused on the ethne, he was focused on the nations. And you see that because he just keeps going back. Again, 10 times in Romans 15 from verse 9 to 27, he references the nations, the ethne. So, by the way, uh, Joshua Project had this. How many, um, how many people groups do you think are in the entire world? Well, I think I left it in your outline. 16,800. 16,800. You know, because if you had said, well, how many nations are there? I would have said, well, I don't know, three or 400. I don't know. 16,800. 16,800. Whew! Because within a nation like India, you have all these subgroups lots and lots of people groups and a lot of them now again a people group is those who have less than 2% who are Christ followers because if you have less than 2% the assumption is (coughs) the average person is not going to meet that particular Christian so the majority of the people without the gospel. Now again, some would say, well, but aren't all saved in the end? Obviously, we know that's not true. There is a heaven and there is a hell. These are people, can you imagine putting yourself, drop you in the middle of India. You're no longer an American. You're an Indian. You speak a different language. Oh, you grew up Hindu. They, they say three million gods are out there. You've chosen your own two or three gods for this particular moment in time. Walking through earth, walking through, never you will never hear the name of Jesus. You will try to please the gods that you thought were there, and you will end up in hell forever. Never heard Jesus. Great white throne judgment, you will hear the name of Jesus when every, every knee will bow. But up to that point, you did not know. You did not know. I mean, isn't that terrifying? Oh. 16,000 people groups. Do you know how many are unreached? Now, this is worldwide. I was just telling you India. 
This is worldwide, 7,289. I did leave a space on your outline for that, 7,289. By the way, I looked it up from a few years ago. I think it was 7,384 or something. A hundred more people groups in the last year have been reached. We're making progress. People are going out. People are receiving the call. Again, a lot of these are in the 1040 window. By the way, a lot of these would not be considered missionaries like we think of missionaries. A missionary, is they are with the board, but when you see them over in Afghanistan, they are not called a missionary. They would be killed tomorrow, today. <laughs> but they are doing the mission's work, right? They would be what we call an E3 missionary. An E0 missionary is one here, common language, common everything. And you, farther away that you get, where the language is different that, you know, from you, then you, and all the, the far outreach is an E3 missionary, <coughs> way out. Because it's, everything's new for them. Everything's a struggle for them. Nothing is norm for them. Nothing is comfortable for them, but they've gone because the, the message has to go out and it has to go out to that group who does not know Jesus Christ. Unreached people groups. I've got one other, it's just, it's just two and a half minute video on what is an unreached people. Because again, I want to make sure that this is solid in our mind. Unreached people.
to his kingdom. You know, we need to be a world Christian. Let me write this down on the back of your outline if you were taking notes. Joshua Project, I think it's .org or .com. Unbelievable amount of stuff that tracks all the stuff that I'm talking about, okay? To become a world Christian, I think one of the first things we need to do is just commit to saying, Lord, one, I want to be a living sacrifice. Two, I'm going to start praying. I'm going to start praying for the world. By the way, I think they have a pop-up every day for a different people group that you can actually have, you know, on your computer. You can just pray for that people group for that particular day. Wouldn't it be great if we just had a mind that says, you know what, it's not just all about us. It's about everyone, right? So, first thing a Great Commission Christian is, focused on the nations, because we see the word Gentile or nations, ethne, appear. And in, in, uh, Paul is writing in Romans 15 over and over again, ten times. Well, aren't you glad that this is not true in the truest sense? As J. Oswald Smith says this, quote, No one has the right to hear the gospel twice until everyone has had the opportunity to hear it once. Now, I think we were all probably presented the gospel many, many times. I think, it, I think the average is seven times. You were presented with the gospel seven times before it finally clicked. The Spirit of God used that. Or as Carl Henry said, that great Baptist theologian, the gospel is only good news if it gets there in time. Let me just pull off to the side of the road for a moment. Do you have someone in your life right now that needs the gospel? You've maybe shared it with them and they've, you know, made you feel uncomfortable or for whatever reason you've stopped, maybe even given up hope. The gospel is only good news if it gets there on time. We need to reach out, right? We need to reach out to that person. You need to reach out. I need to reach out. The second thing, big thing about a Great Commission Christian will be that they, they will be Christ-centered people. Christ-centered people. And we pick this up in verse 16, that I might be made might be a minister of Jesus Christ. I think, again, Paul never lost the wonder of his salvation. I think, he went, I think he preached the gospel to himself every day, as it were. In fact, if you start looking at this chapter, what's amazing is how many times God, or Paul refers to God, either God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, or, or Jesus Christ. He was a, and I, I said Christ-centered people, he was a God-centered peop, uh, person. He was a God-centered person. That's a great commission uh, Christian, a God-centered person. If you go through there, you'll find Jesus Christ mentioned 12 times. You'll, mention, you'll see God mentioned 10 times. You'll see the Holy Spirit mentioned three times. <clears throat> In other words, his life was saturated with God. And, and, and when you are walking with God, then you have God's heart. It's kind of like Henry Martin said. In fact, Henry Martin was a missionary... And he died at the age of 31. You know what's amazing? How many missionaries that we highly esteem died in either their late 20s or early 30s? David Brainerd died at 29. Jim Elliott, 29. John and Betty Stamm in their early 20s. But Henry Martin, he died when he was 31. But this is what he wrote after just a very short ministry. 
in Burma, I, wait, or India. I get him mixed up with Kerry. But anyways, this is what he wrote just before he died. He said, the spirit of Christ is the spirit of missions. The nearer we get to Jesus, now catch this, the nearer we get to Jesus, the more intensely missionary-minded we will become. You want to have a missionary's heart? Get close to God. Get close to Christ. Get close to what God is doing in this world. See, this is not about me trying to make you feel guilty. Please, I hope that doesn't happen. I don't want to make anybody feel guilty. If God calls me to afflict myself or someone else, we need to do that, right? Truth does hurt. We need to be a living sacrifice. But if we want to really have a missionary's heart, we've got to get close to God because that's his heart pumping. Sometimes we just walk away from people. I uh, came across, actually was told, someone sent this to me last year and then I heard about it again. I think Ryan, he said he, he actually showed this video in youth group. But it was about the atheist magician Penn Jillette. You know How many of you know Penn Jillette? He's a missionary musician. Well, he's done a lot in his life, to be honest with you, but he's an atheist. And he, wrote, he, did on this, uh, he put on this uh, YouTube video an experience that he had, and he named it this, Atheist Perspective on Evangelism. I'm telling you that, so if you ever want to look it up. <coughs> Basically, this happened a number of years ago after a show he did in Las Vegas. A man walked up to him, reached into his pocket, and pulled out a Gideon New Testament. Gave it to uh, 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 him. What's the, what's the first name? Penn. <laughs> I'm thinking Gillette. Uh, Penn. And uh, he said, you know what? Probably said this, you know, I enjoyed your show, but I have a deep concern for your soul. And so much so that I want to give you this New Testament, and I would ask that you would read it. And I think he opened it up, you know, to where it talks about the different parts of salvation. Would you do that? Penn said this, he didn't yell at me, he didn't condemn me, he just wanted me to have this. He did a self-interview on YouTube. This is what you would watch if you turn there. It's like four minutes long. And this is what he said, quote, with a lot of intensity, by the way. He's an atheist. He never did get converted yet. But this is what he said, quote, I don't respect people who don't proselytize. In other words, give away their faith. I don't, I don't respect people who don't proselytize. I don't respect them at all. If you believe that there is a heaven and a hell and people could be going to hell and not getting eternal life or whatever and you think it is not really worth telling them this because it would make it a little bit socially awkward, how much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize them? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? If I believe beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you did not believe it, that the truck was actually bearing down on you, there is a certain point that I would tackle you. And this is more important than that. I've always thought that. End quote. You know what? I think that atheist got it right. If this is really true... Just like if a truck was bearing down on you, wouldn't you want, expect someone to tackle you, get you out of the way of the truck? And yet this is eternal life versus eternal damnation. Well, I think he got it right. I think, I think we need to think through how bold are we for the gospel? Number three, a great commission Christian will be 
gospel-saturated in all that they do. If we're really a gospel, or a Great Commission Christian, we'll be gospel-saturated in all that we do. By the way, you see the word gospel in this chapter in verse 16, ministering the gospel of God. Verse 19, the gospel of Christ. Verse 20, I, may, I have made it my aim to preach the gospel. Not where Christ was named, where he's not named. And then finally, verse 29, the gospel of Christ. See, if we're going to be a Great Commission Christian, we are going to be saturated. The gospel is going to saturate everything we do. Again, I'm running out of time, but let me just ask you, what is the gospel? Well, I actually found this on a, on a tweet. Actually, I heard it in a message. By the way, much of this message is from a guy named Danny Aiken. He's the president of Southeastern uh, Bible College. But this is what he wrote on a tweet. Because what, what is a tweet? Like a less than 140 characters or something like that? I don't tweet. I don't like uh, all this stuff. Too many. I'm, I'm just now trying to keep up with my emails. Right now I think I have 99 of them. I have to still look through. You know, some of them I didn't answer, but I've just put there with stars. They're making me feel guilty, giving me pressure. This is what he wrote. 144. It's good because you could actually tweet this to somebody because it stays within their minimum. This is what the gospel is. The gospel is the good news that King Jesus died, paid the full penalty of sin, rose from the dead, and saves all who repent of sin and trust him. That's a good summary of the gospel right there. The gospel is the good news that King Jesus died. He died. He was buried. But in the, fa in the fact of his death, he paid the full penalty of sin, rose from the dead, proving that indeed he was the acceptable sacrifice before the Father, and saves all who repent of sin Repentance and trust him, because those are the two sides of that coin. Or as Tim Keller put it, every religion in the world can be assumed in one of two words, do or done. Now, I'm saying this because when it comes to religion, they can be put in one of two camps, do or done. Either you are saved by what you do, or you are saved by what another has done for you which in our case, as believers, is King Jesus. Isn't that why we worship him? Oh, I would be damned if I have not... Damned eternally if I had died to this point or at least heading towards damnation. Yet he sacrificed himself for me. So therefore, it's true that the person who has Jesus plus nothing has really everything. Because if you have Jesus, you have everything. Oh, not as the world considers it, but from an eternal standpoint, you have everything. But the person who has everything of this world minus Jesus actually has nothing. Therefore, 2.6 to 2.9 billion people have nothing. They're just struggling, waiting for a Christless eternity. So a Great Commission Christian will be gospel-saturated in all that they do. And then finally, final point, a Great Commission Christian will be passionate for the unreached people of the world. See, it's, it's not enough just to be God-focused, uh, gospel-saturated, want to you know, reach out to the, uh, the nations. They will actually reach out to the nations. They will be passionate about that. Are you passionate about that? Notice what he says in verse um, 
Starting in verse 19, but for time, let's go down to verse 23. He talks about being, you know, led by the power of the Spirit. I have fully preached the gospel, verse 19. Uh, I have made it my aim to preach the gospel, verse 20. As it is written, to whom he was not announced, they shall see. In other words, I've gone to the, uh, the unreached people groups. But now look at what he says in verse 23. But now, no longer having a place in these parts. That's the New King James. Let me give you the um, Holman version. But now, I no longer have any work to do in these providences. Now, at this point, he's in Corinth. But he says, I no longer have any work here. I, I, I want to say this. Stop! What are you talking about, Paul? What do you mean you have no more work? What do you mean you're going to be moving on? Have you shared the gospel with everyone who needs to hear the gospel? You know what Paul would say? No, I'm not saying that. Are you saying that you have planted all the churches that need to be planted? He would say, no, I'm not saying that. Then what are you saying, Paul? I am saying there is at least a gospel witness here. But there's other places in this world that there is no gospel witness, and I'm going there. That verse 23 is just an unbelievable. I'm basically saying I have finished my task because I've started the work. Christians are established in a local church. I move on. And that's what we have to be thinking about. Yes, is there a gospel witness in America? Absolutely, Canada and all around. It doesn't mean that we should like close up shop and go somewhere else. No, no. We need to be a gospel witness, a lighthouse right here. But there's all these other groups and that's what Paul is pointing out in verse 23. I no longer have any work here to do in these providences. Why? Because the, the gospel has been established. Now I need to move on. By the way, that is a true missionary right there. I want you to know. And we call missionaries a lot of different, you know, a lot of people in the missionaries. And I'm not opposed to that. But that's the concept of a true missionary right there. Gospel has been presented. It's established. Christians, churches, they're established. Now I need to move on. Because a missionary, in the truest biblical sense, is an evangelist in that sense. Going to a group that's not yet been reached. Again, I could drop you, you could drop me in a, in a hel- from a helicopter into that 1040 window, and I could walk for hours and days and months even, and never come across a Christian. Now think about that. I could walk, well, yeah, I'd be walking across the sand. I would die after the first two days. I couldn't make it. But the point is, you could walk for days and months and never come across another believer. Let me end with just a couple thoughts. These actually come from Danny Aiken. He, but I have noticed this over the years, and he just, he said it, and I thought, yeah, I, I, that's what I thought. That's what I thought. Why isn't it happening? In other words, why has the gospel stopped? Or to say it this way, why is it that in the turn of the last century, 1901, 50% of the world was unevangelized? Again, I'm saying unevangelized, uh, 39% as far as unreached. You know, there, there's different concepts, but the point is, and at the same time, right now, 2013, you know what? It's the same statistic. Actually, we have not moved the ball at all as far as when you talk about people unsaved in this world. I, I find that phenomenal, actually. He, he had two thoughts. He said this. One is this. 
little Johnny, little Susie, get convicted. I want to be, I want to serve God. And, and uh, parents say, amen. And then God starts working on their heart. And I want to place them over here. Uh, parents live over there. Listen, little Susie, you, you don't need to go over there because there are people that need you over here. And, and he said this. It's, he said, I can't believe it. Many times it is parents who stop their children from serving the Lord. Because we want to keep them here. By the way, I'm a parent, and I can see that. So therefore, guys, if God calls you, I need to release you. That's hard. I don't even like the thought. But do you see how that can work against missions? Big time. I think of my one brother-in-law who has a son in an unknown, I won't even tell you where, but the point is they could be killed at any moment. That's hard. His grandchildren could be killed at any moment. You know what the other thing Danny Aiken said? Now this one I didn't really think about. He said, look at any mission group. Look at the missionaries that are coming in. Short term, long term. He said, you know what gender they usually are? By an overwhelming majority, like, like a 60 to 70% versus 30, 40% women. And, and he said this. He said, the reason that the gospel has not gone forward like it ought to have gone forward to this point, quote, because men have not played the man for Jesus, end quote. And you know what? I looked it up on some of the different mission organizations. It's amazing how many times you either see couples or a single female. Rarely will you see a single male. Men have not stepped up to the plate. Hey, if you're going to be successful, what do you need? You need to have finances, security. You need to... So I think it's partly parents and partly cultural. The women seem to sense the need, but not the man. We've got to provide. How am I going to provide? There's going to be too many unknowns. I'm going to be uncomfortable. Be careful. Be careful. Be careful. Parents, are you willing to pray? Lord, if you call one of my kids, if you call one of my grandkids, I'll release them to you. I'll trust you. That's tough. That is just tough. So, Lord, maybe you're going to call me. Maybe I'll call one of my kids or grandkids. Lord, I don't know what you want to do, but this is the point. And by the way, I, I do believe there's someone, many, maybe even many, no, I need to go. Right here. They're listening right now. Maybe it's me. But if nothing else, what do we have to say? Lord, I'm willing to be a living sacrifice. I'm willing to do it, Lord, because of the mercy that you have shown to me. Let me close with this final illustration. <clears throat> James Frazier was a missionary to China among the Lisu people group. This was a number of years ago. At this time, when he went, there was no believer at all in that particular people group. He would be there for five years before he had his first convert. Well, that's not much for missionary letters. <laughs> year one, nobody got saved. Year two, still same thing. Year three, maybe he put this, ditto. Year five, he had his first convert. Today, they estimate 300,000 Lisu believers in that particular people group. James Fraser was an honors engineer student at the University of London. 
Now, I want you to catch this. At the beginning, he was an engineer student and an accomplished concert pianist. He had a stellar career marked out for him. But in his senior year, a friend of his walked up to him and put in his hand a gospel booklet. Now, the booklet wasn't salvation. It really had to do with missions. And he said to his friend, I want you to read this because I think you need to hear what this says. That booklet so grabbed a hold of his heart, he did not become an engineer, he did not become a concert pianist, but he left London and moved to the mountains of western China and worked and lived and died and was buried there among the Lisu people, dying of cerebral meningitis at the age of 52. I've never even heard of James Frazier up to this point. And yet the Lord grabbed his heart and said, this is where I want, and he, he didn't just go there and come back. He lived, got sick, he died, he was buried, which what I think would be called for him, his people. No, this is where my people are. But this is what he wrote just before he died. He said, the command has been given, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. It has not been obeyed. More than half of the people in the world have never heard the gospel. What are we to say to this? Surely it concerns us as Christians very seriously, for we are the people that are responsible. If our master would return today to find millions of people unevangelized, and to look to us as, to, as he would, to us for an explanation, I cannot imagine what explanation we, we would give him. Of one thing I am certain, most of the excuses that we are accustomed to make with such a good conscience now, we would be wholly ashamed of then. End quote. Oh, we can make all kinds of excuses. But Jesus is going to ask us, by the way, what did you do? Well, ask us or just evaluate us. He's going to judge us for what did you do according to what I told you to do to make disciples of all the nations. See, as it pertains to John Prince, I don't want to be ashamed when I stand before Jesus Christ. Do you? Obviously not. See, I don't want to look back on my life here on this earth as an American citizen and and think to myself and know that I played the fool, I wasted my life. I don't want that. I want for me a good life now as far as following Jesus Christ. That's what I mean by good life and a good life when I meet Jesus Christ and be rewarded. The Great Commission, again, is not an option to be considered, but a command to be obeyed. And by God's grace and for his glory, may we, may the people of Alfred Allman Bible Church be an obedient people. What do I want, what do I believe God wants you to do? I mean, because I've been thinking, okay, what's like the step? Okay, I would say this, question one. Are you truly a living sacrifice? Have you received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? And based on that, by the way, if you haven't received Christ, all this, don't even listen to the rest of it. If you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, repented of your sin, believed on him, you need to do that. But if you've done that, do you really say, Lord, I want to be a living sacrifice. I am yours. And I could start naming off all these things, but basically I am yours. I think the second part is, the second thing is this. I'm saved, I'm a living sacrifice. 
you know, Lord, I want to be more and more concerned and do something about the unreached people group. There's 2.6 billion of them. Maybe the first thing is just get on the Joshua Project and commit. You know what? I want to start praying because I just want to know what you want me to do. If it's to be a missionary, fine. If it's not, fine. I mean, Lord, I'm just your servant. <coughs> you need to tell me, but I'm willing. Pray, pray. I would say th third, fourth, whatever it is, get connected to the mission program of this church. Again, we have E1, E2, and E3 missionaries represented in this church. You need to be part of that. You need to be part of praying for and giving towards people who are representing our church around this country. By the way, I'm not going to bang on the people. We need people in this country, but we certainly need a lot more in that, the other countries. And you're willing to pray, and you're willing to give. Give time, give money, whatever. Give, give what you have, because the Great Commission it needs to be obeyed. And again, I just go back to that final thing. And Lord, as I'm doing these things right now, I'm going to keep praying, Lord, your will be done in my life. If you call me, I will respond. See, I think sometimes the Lord knocks on our hearts. Well, I can't do it. Why? Well, because, uh, and we give an excuse, right? This is what I want you to do. Could you bow your heads? We're almost out of time. We are out of time. <laughs> but this is something I want... And by the way, I am not one to give altar, uh, uh, altar calls. or I, I'm not, But what I'm, I want to do this right now. If you are, this is the question. Lord, I will be a living sacrifice. Lord, I will do what it needs to take as far as for you to speak to me. In other words, I will, I will covet to pray, to pray, okay? I'm a living sacrifice that is going to be praying. And if you ever call me, I will listen. You're just basically opening your life up. You're not making a commitment in the sense of anything other than, Lord, I want to make a commitment to do whatever you want. If you're in that situation, I'm going to ask you to do something. Again, I hardly ever do. But I'm going to ask you to stand. By the way, I know as soon as I do this, like some people just do it for no, no, I don't want you to do it for someone else. If there's no one here, that's fine. Well, it's not fine, but the point is this. Don't do it for someone else because God sees your heart. And I even felt like this morning as I was praying, I actually fell on my face before the Lord because it was like, Lord, I don't like doing this. This is uncomfortable. But he kept saying, no, you have them stand. If they can't stand, they're certainly not going to go to Afghanistan if I ever call them. If you are willing to say, Lord, I want to be a living sacrifice, I just want to walk with you because you're my master, I'm going to ask you to stand right now. And I want you to commit your life again to him. Lord, I don't know what the future holds, but whatever it is, I am your servant and you are my master. That's really all I'm asking you to pray. And then if everyone else would stand as well. And I'm just going to at this time literally just pray. And just ask that whatever commitments we have made before Jesus Christ, we will hold to them beyond walking out these doors. In fact, the rest of our life. Father, again, I thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank you that he was obedient even to the point of death. And Father, I pray that 
for each one of us, for myself particularly, because I want to be comfortable, and Lord, but I want to do whatever you want me to do. And I pray that for each one here, that they will be willing to do whatever you want them to do, that we would be true living sacrifices. Father, help us to be people who are saturated with your gospel, that are just focused on you, that your heartbeat would be our heartbeat, that we would not get so excited about all the trinkets of this world, but our excitement is on about the plan that you have for this world, especially right now for the people of this world, and that is salvation. And Lord, I pray that this passion will go beyond just this next few minutes. I pray that if we have made a commitment to you, we will hold to it, and that you will work in our lives however you want, because you are the master. We are simply your slaves. And that as we enter this next few weeks of missions, that there would be an excitement not fear and trepidation in our hearts of what you want to do in our lives, but that we will get connected with the program that we have here and the missionaries that we have here, and it would even go beyond that to those who are serving in foreign fields, especially among those people who have never heard the name of Jesus. Help us to be faithful so that we would truly minister the gospel to the nations. And we ask for your wisdom your conviction, and your guidance in this. In Christ's name, amen. You are dismissed.